it overshadowed certainly most of my life up till I was in my mid-twenties when I think about it the north was always a constant it was always every morning essentially on the radio something had happened in Northern Ireland and it became clear to me that it had in so many ways had a major effect on Southern society and I suppose what was interesting to me in after I became a historian was that a lot of the histories tend to downplay the effect it had I mean there's major works done in the 80s and 90s that kind of argue that apart from a couple of major incidents the North didn't have a major impact on Southern society really or on Southern thinking and I suppose that's confusing a direct impact with the actual importance of it and the way that it did play into a whole range of other issues both culturally, socially and economically and politically um, in the South uh, Roy Foster's recent work on the look of the Irish a lot about is, which is about the fact that you know, the South really recoiled from the North and didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I think that's partly the case, but it's never entirely the truth that there are much more connections than that. So what I'm particularly interested in, initially at least, is popular mobilisation and the times when large numbers of people in the South really did directly connect with the Northern issue and really felt involved with it. And that obviously then means you have to look at why after a period that enthusiasm began to decline and where it does re-emerge again and where uh, other things come into play. After October 1968, firstly initially with the first, the, the big civil rights march in, in Derry, you see discussion of the North again and you begin to see mobilisation in the South. For example, there's a, a pretty violent protest at the British Embassy in Dublin, which was then in Merrion Square after the uh, October 5th march in Derry, and that's the first of several over the next few years. Then in August 1969, you have thousands of people rallying in Dublin and also smaller rallies across the state of people demanding action over the north. Some demanding that the uh, Defence Forces intervene militarily or that the government intervene. Um, you have the very public sort of prominence of the IRA in that period as well, with people actually you know, talking about the, what the IRA should do or what the IRA is going to do. And you then have people fleeing the violence. From August 69 and again in 71 and 72, you have thousands of people coming south. You have the beginnings of small communities in Dundalk and in Drogheda and in Cavan and Monaghan and in parts of Donegal of people who've left the north for various reasons. And you also have refugees who are put up in Gormanstown camp or in other military camps. So here you have a very, in the early years of, of the conflict, um, of course, again, we know it's the early years of the conflict. The people at the time don't know it's the early years. They don't know how long this is going to go on and they don't know what's going to happen. Um, you do have a very emotional reaction in Manchester, so political effects of that reaction. The crisis within Fianna Fáil, for example, arms crisis very much brought about by, by the North. You have also upheaval in the Labour Party for a long period because the Labour Party at the time has a very substantial anti-partitionist element who are on this subject actually as nationalistic, if not more so, than a lot of people in Fianna Fáil. And Within the trade union movement, right from the start, there's a lot of interest in what's happening because most of the trade unions organise in the north as well. So from 69 onwards, there's recurring collections within the unions for northern relief, for example, and for aiding families who come south. And again, that involves thousands of people, you know, whose large proportion of the workforce are members of trade unions. So the north is never really far from their experience as well. So it, it affects the South in a whole range of ways in the beginning, which I think is, is very interesting. Mm. And maybe the hunger strike period as well? Yeah, I mean, there you see the... Apart from the early 70s, this is when the North comes back on the streets in a big way and when it's really identified again 
with marches and with demonstrations and riots. And the mobilisation around the hunger strike is very significant in that in the early 70s, when the Troubles were in their infancy, nobody knew how bad they were going to get. By 1981, we'd already had a decade of them, so a lot of people in the South have really recoiled from them already. And what you see during the hunger strikes is that you have a younger generation who wouldn't have been active at all in 1970, who are identifying with the H-Block hunger strikers, identifying with Republicanism, and who don't come from Republican backgrounds. I mean, one thing that's notable in Dublin is you have punks, skinheads, mods going on H-Block marches. And other people, you know, people from New Ross, for example, have said, oh yeah, the, the lads we used to call the ska kids in the town, they all started to go on the H-Block marches. But it's much smaller than the mobilisation in the early 70s, even though it's still significant. And it has a political outlet in that you have elections in 81, 82, the election of two H-Block TDs and this of course then feeds on as we know to the thinking in the Northern Republican leadership about the possibility of movement in the South but in comparison to, to the early 70s that was emotional and there's emotion in 1981 as well but in some ways it has a harder edge, it's more politicised and it's also much more class based I mean it's really apparent in Dublin in 1981 a lot of the younger people who are being mobilised are from the poorest parts of Dublin and the tension between them and the Gardaí carries a whole range of other baggage rather than simply that of Republicans versus Free Staters, and that, that's probably not the way they would have even seen it. And there's, you know, there's descriptions of the H-Block marches where you have Republican stewards trying to maintain order, trying to stop the younger people on the marches from attacking the police or particularly breaking windows in shops and buses, which actually alienates a lot of uh, the, the wider public. So I think then you, you do see a different type of, of, of mobilisation, but it is significant and, and it then I think does have a, a longer effect in terms of Southern Republicanism. And that might help to explain why the uh, political establishment here in the Republic wanted to keep a lid on, on popular involvement in the North. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I'd say it is true, although again I would say that, that there's been a lot of rewriting since the early 70s about what people actually thought. I mean, there's, there's no shortage of TDs in the early 70s who are making speeches about the need to finish the fight that, that should have been finished in 1921 or that should have been finished in 1923, depending on what party they're in. And there again are, at the 1971 Fine there are quite a few speeches which, you know, objecting to the use of the term Northern Ireland, for example, it's the six counties, you know, saying that Jack Lynch had made a mess of it and that a Fine Gael teacher could have been stronger. I mean, Liam Cosgrave at the time makes reiterates on numerous occasions that the only solution is a united Ireland and the sooner people come to realise that the better. You know, he makes the point that you know no Irishman can be happy to see the British Army in Ireland. Across all the parties you have an emotional nationalist reaction. You also have those who obviously think it's worthwhile political capital. I mean I think Charles Hawhey would be an example of someone who wasn't notably Republican before 1969 and suddenly became very vociferously Republican. Within the Labour Party there's several split factional fighting about this issue but by 1972 I think on the one hand there's a genuine fear among many people of the term would be the violence spilling over into the south and the violence is spilling over into the south both in terms of street conflict and also bombs and shootings by 1972 and also then among the political establishment a desire to for stability, essentially. I mean, in 1972, the, there's a referendum on joining the EEC. It's passed. This is seen as a vital step towards the uh, Republic becoming economically 
stable and successful. And the North really is seen as an unhelpful diversion from that. There are people who are genuinely nationalistic among the political elite, but most of them, I think, are pragmatic. And the North costs a huge amount of money. The Guardi and the Army, the, the budget begins to escalate. Funding them, um, there's a human cost. There's now bombs in Dublin, people being, being shot in the South. And also then there is periodic trouble street disturbances connected with the north and you have a growing prison population then a growing problem with armed crime a lot of which initially is carried out by paramilitary organizations and just the worry that there's a huge mobilization in the early 70s up till certainly 1972 in terms of solidarity with northern nationalists and i think a fear that that can be revived again given the right circumstances the irish government the finnegale labor coalition in 1975-76 did believe that the british had told the ira that they were leaving so they were making preparations for what they thought was going to be a civil war in the north and a doomsday the actual files are, are labeled doomsday and i mean they were really terrified of the prospect of thousands of nationalist refugees coming south one report written by a senior guard that talks about a Lebanon-type situation with northern nationalists, if they were held in camps along the border, becoming a really strong destabilising influence as well. There's reports drawn up from their informants in the north, a lot of them I think were probably the, the clergy and the SDLP, about how long nationalist districts could hold out in a doomsday situation. You know, So the Irish government does think that the, the British are going to leave them in the lurch. I think Gareth Fitzgerald wrote publicly about that, You know that they were... They didn't trust to maintain the situation. And certainly that the coalition, I don't think any government after 1972 seriously considered a United Ireland as a positive prospect. And, and certainly the coalition thought we're going to have a civil war which we're not going to be able to handle. So they thought there was going to be a civil war. And what did they plan to do if this came to pass? Well, they weren't going to intervene militarily. And they had decided that they wouldn't go into Northern Ireland. They were obviously going to try and aid. I mean, they, they talk very much... And again, given later revisions, people may or may not be surprised by the fact, but they, but they think in term, exclusively in terms of northern nationalists. I mean, most Irish politicians, southern politicians don't think that the unionists were their responsibility or problem, and most of them blame the unionists for having caused the problem in the first place. Um, some publicly, a lot privately. So, I mean, the nationalist population were the ones they were going to have to look after, and they thought thousands of these people are going to come here seeking refuge. Now again what's notable is that after 1972 there's a mixed response of modern nationalists coming south. Again culturally you have that kind of conflict in towns like Dundalk where you know people begin to argue that the town's getting a very bad image El Paso etc because of its connection with the north but again I mean there's there's one of the, the Garda assessments that makes this clear you know that Senior Garda talks about the fact that refugees are usually law-abiding people who are, eager, who are who are thankful for the aid that they're being given as they're being driven from their their um, homes. But Northerners, as we've discovered, are often uh, ungrateful, often demand much more than we can give them, sometimes cause trouble. It's a very negative view in many ways of Northern nationalists already in the South, certainly among some people by the mid-70s. And this certainly colours the, the view of the government as well.